This video is brought to you by Passport, the Bitcoin hardware wallet you already know how to use. Stay tuned to the video to learn more. Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. Today, we're talking about how the Fed's new emergency BTFP facility is totally not QE, but at the end of the day, it has the same net effect in markets and in interbank markets as QE does. And we're also going to be talking about the extreme amount of distress that is currently facing the banking sector. So let's dive in. Well, first things first, it's really no secret to everyone that this week has been all about the banking sector. Last week, obviously, Silvergate voluntarily shuttered operations, followed by Friday when Silicon Valley Bank was taken into receivership by the FDIC. That's what our last video was about. If you want to hear about what has occurred uh, within Silicon Valley Bank specifically and the factors that caused it to fall. But that's not what today's video is about. Today's video is about exactly what is going on with the Fed response to this crisis as of last week. Well, as we know, on Monday, the Fed announced a brand new acronym facility called BTFP, which stands for Bank Term Funding Program. It is the latest in a very, very long line of liquidity facilities, emergency liquidity facilities that are created in order for the Fed to prop up financial institutions. You'll recall in 2007, the Fed opened up dollar swap lines with the European Central Bank. And since then, those have been tapped several times through the years in times of emergency in 2015 and in uh, 2019 through till today, where basically distressed institutions in Europe can rely on the European Central Bank to ask the Fed for dollars and then siphon it to distressed institutions. So that's a facility that became permanent. In 2008, the Fed started paying uh, interest on bank reserves, which was basically a measure to lower the overall amount of risk-taking in the financial system. Um, that was supposed to be a temporary measure, and that has been made a permanent monetary policy tool. So on and so forth, you get the gist. In 2013, the overnight reverse repo facility was created by the Fed in order to uh, uh, set short-term interest rates a little bit easier. And in 2019, it was used again in response to the repo crisis and has since then become a permanent facility. Um, where else? In 2019, the standing repo facility was created. Uh, and again, that's another tool for the bank, uh, the Federal Reserve to influence money markets. And that has become a permanent facility. And now the latest in a very, very long line of emergency liquidity facilities, the bank term funding program. So what exactly is BTFP? Well, BTFP is different from QE, right? But it has the same effect as QE. Well, what on earth do I mean by this? Well, the bank term funding program is more like a repo transaction, a repo operation than a quantitative easing operation. What do I mean by this? Well, Quantitative easing uh, entails the bank, the Federal Reserve, purchasing uh, treasuries from distressed institutions or just banks in general, which is a very wide policy net that has been doing. But QE is basically the Fed buying treasuries and other uh, securities from banks and giving them bank reserves in return. It is an asset swap. And when those securities eventually mature off of the Fed's balance sheet, those bank reserves disappear. That's what's been occurring for the last several months. It's an asset swap, right? It is a direct line of liquidity. It's imbuing banks with new liquidity that came from nowhere, and the banks are required uh, to put up nothing in return, right? It's not a loan uh, whereby the Fed is lending them money. The Fed is creating money and giving it and imbuing it directly onto banks' balance sheets in the form of reserves. 
BTFP is a little bit different, right? So I mentioned how the Fed does standing repo operations, and it also has its reverse repo facility. The Fed also does repo operations through its discount window, which is its emergency lending window. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But essentially, a repo operation is a treasury collateralized lending operation. So banks, uh, other depository institutions can take treasuries that they have on hand, and let's say they need cash, what they can do is they can go to the Fed standing repo facility, they can park their treasuries and pledge them, i.e. lend them to the Fed, and the Fed gives them a cash loan in return. And basically the way that this happens, let's say I'm a bank, I have a slew of 10-year uh, treasury uh, notes that are trading at 50 cent, that are trading at 80 cents on the dollar. I can go to the Fed and I can get uh, those 80 cents on the dollar in the form of cash by parking my treasuries with them. Now this occurs on an overnight basis and on a more fixed basis uh, with the Fed's discount window, which is an emergency facility. Now, BTFP is closer to a repo operation than it is to QE, right? BTFP allows banks to park their treasuries and mortgage-backed securities at the Fed and receive cash in return. But the key difference is that the Fed is using BTFP and lending against these devalued and distressed uh, mortgage-backed securities and treasury collateral at par value. So this is not just a standard repo operation, right? Par value means full value, $1 for $1. This means that banks who just experienced the worst losses on their treasury portfolio ever last year, it was the worst uh, year for the entire treasury curve in several decades, they can now go to the Fed and get that distressed collateral completely renewed, uh, essentially in the form of cash, right? So, so to give you an example of this, this is a, a essentially value creation from nowhere, nowhere, right? It's not just a normal repo operation. To give you an example of this, let's say I'm JP Morgan. I have I have uh, a whole bunch of 30-year, right? I have, a, I have a crap ton of 30-year that's sitting on my books and I, I want to use this Fed's new facility, right? Let's say my, third, uh, my holdings of the 30-year long bond are trading at 65 cents on the dollar. Well, with the BTFP facility, I can go to BTFP and I could use that facility um, for uh, basically putting up my treasury collateral um, that is trading at uh, 65 cents on the dollar and I can receive $1 for all of it, right? I can receive full value for all of it. You see where the issue is here, right? It's not just the normal loan. It is imbuing banks with value that was created from nowhere. And granted, the banks will have to pay it back at some point in the future, which is where the repo operation aspect of it comes in. They are trading their collateral. Uh, they are posting collateral in order to receive these cash loans. But these cash loans are well in excess of the value of their collateral. So not only is it erasing these banks' losses uh, from their balance sheet, um, but also it has the same stimulative effect that quantitative easing has. Many people on Twitter have been in an uproar, uh, you know, they, they have their panties in a bunch, very, very upset that this isn't a QE operation. I'm well aware that this isn't a QE operation, but for the sake of uh, simplicity, I am calling this QE5. It is not a quantitative easing operation. I've just explained the difference between the two things and that BTFP is more of a repo facility, which the Fed does all the time. But the key difference between the repo operation and what BTFP is, is it has that creating value from nowhere effect that is known to many as QE. And so for simplicity's sake, I am calling it stealth QE. It is essentially disguised as a normal repo operation, but in the fine print, uh, you understand that those devalued assets can be swapped uh, with a fixed term loan for full value cash. It's creating value from nowhere. Now, what does this do? Well, 
What is the effect of QE on markets? It's stimulative. It's imbuing banks with reserves that they did not have before, thereby lubricating them and making them more prone to create credit. Same deal with BTFP. That's the idea. It wants to uh, get the gears turning in the interbank market again, um, but also get the gears turning in the financial sector in general, which means more loan creation, which means this is stimulative. And we know historically that bank reserves uh, have a positive convexity with risk assets. When banks have more reserves, risk assets do well. And lo and behold, banks just got imbued with billions and billions of reserves last week. And so that is uh, certainly a, uh, a tailwind for risk asset pricing. And we'll, we'll likely see that next week should that trend continue to play out. Bank liquidity has a major, major reflexive relationship when it comes to the S&P 500, other equity indices, and of course, Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is appreciated to a pretty extreme degree uh, for a few reasons. One, obviously, being the fact that we had a record rally in treasuries all throughout the week on Monday, Wednesday, and now today, we had three of the single-day largest bids across the treasury curve, particularly on the front end, since Black Monday 1987. People are absolutely rushing towards treasuries as a safe haven asset. As a result of this, Bitcoin is rallying. As rates fall, as we saw throughout all of 2022, the relationship is still intact where Bitcoin rallies as the price of money, i.e. rates, particularly on the front end, fall. Rates are also obviously signaling uh, through falling through the absolute floor that the Fed is done with hiking. And we tend to take the stance that the Fed is either at or near its terminal rate where it will pause and allow the market to digest it given just how deeply inverted the two-year yield is and other front-end rates are to the Fed's policy rate on the front-end. When the Fed can no longer effectively transmit policy, there's no sense in hiking any further. That's what the rates market is saying, and we'll get more clarity on that at next Wednesday's meeting when we finally figure out what their decision is. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Foundation Devices. Passport is the Bitcoin hardware wallet that you already know how to use. With a gorgeous design and familiar interface, Passport makes it easier than ever to self-custody your Bitcoin. Take a look. This is an absolutely beautiful device. No more sitting at your computer or squinting at tiny screens. Passport, this small device that fits in the palm of your hand right here, it seamlessly connects to your phone and empowers you to quickly view your balances and move Bitcoin into and out of cold storage. And today we're offering a special deal. You can use the code BitcoinLayer for $10 off your own Passport when you receive uh, checkout or you can go to the link in our description to learn more. Now, back to the video. So, BTFP is different, but it has the same effect as QE, so we are calling it Stealth QE or QE5 just to upset the people on uh, Twitter who want to, you know, uh, tell you the difference between the two. I just explained the difference between the two. What has the effect been so far? Well, we know banks have been experiencing maximum distress. I'll put up on screen right now a chart of the Fed discount window usage. It shot to its highest level ever. $150 billion was borrowed from the Fed's discount window last week by banks. This signals extreme distress. When banks no longer borrow and lend from one another and they have to go to the Fed's emergency window in order to borrow from them, it shows that times are very tough. And the reason that it shows times are very tough is because when nobody is dealing with you, that's when interbank liquidity completely freezes. That shows troubled times ahead, extreme amounts of credit distress, and this often leads to a credit event. The other reason why it's really disconcerting that the discount window has shot up so much is because there's a, there's a stigma attached to borrowing from the discount window. Let's, let's put it this way. If you're a bank and you're just doing normal funding operations, you're borrowing and lending uh, to and from your peers, uh, and then all of a sudden you notice that one of your peers just went and borrowed from the Fed. 
Well, seeing that they borrowed from the Fed, you don't want to deal with them anymore, right? There's a recognition that they can't get money from anybody else. They have to go to the Fed. That means they're probably in pretty rough shape. And so what that does is it naturally distances those other banks from that bank that went and borrowed from the Fed because they're perceived as more risky and that bank has a much higher likelihood of failing. Um, and that's why it's it's so disconcerting that we're seeing this massive amount of borrowing. It's indicative of liquidity in the interbank market freezing up, which is not good for credit. Um, it's not good for US dollar markets whatsoever. Uh, and that is obviously what uh, in, in, in effect um, that has come off the back of the Fed stepping in and offering this new facility. Uh, but the disconcerting thing with BTFP, and, and we're nearing the end here, so I'll explain a few things, is that BTFP actually hides the identity of people who borrow from the facility. Do you understand the, the issue there <laughs> with the Fed's discount window? When, it, when, a, when a bank borrows from the Fed, it's because it's very embattled. It's because it cannot borrow from any other bank, which means that it is, chances are, it's a very, very risky bank. That's why other banks are distancing themselves from it. And when banks borrow from the discount window, you know that for them, it's an emergency loan. They may be nearing the end. And chances are, relationships with its counterparties are going to be really difficult to mend because borrowing from the Fed has that stigma attached to it. You are in distress. Well, the BTFP facility... And, and what that what that does is it naturally disperses risk. Uh, it, it it destroys risk within the system, right? Because if a bank is risky, it borrows from the Fed, its counterparties back away, that bank may fail, right? That's good. That's natural. You need to, you get to know what bank is in distress. But BTFP completely hides the identity of that bank that's borrowing from the Fed. That is a major issue. That is an extremely huge issue because we're seeing record usage of the Fed's emergency lending facility, but the Fed and the Treasury are not going to tell you who they are. They're not going to tell the investing public who these banks are. They're not going to tell other banks who these banks are. And what does that do? Well, it introduces invisible risk, what I'm calling invisible risk into the banking sector because... If you are a bank and you do not know that the person you're dealing with on a regular basis has gone ahead and let's say they have they have an extreme amount of distressed securities in their book and they've decided to go to the Fed and borrow against all of them at par value. They've just received this massive several billion dollar infusion from the Fed because they were in trouble and you don't know about it. That disperses risk throughout the system. It, it allows other banks to continue dealing with risky banks because there's no way of knowing that they're risky. And what does it do? It makes the counterparty risk of the overall banking sector even more fragile. The, the other impact that this facility from the Fed has is it has the impact of basically murdering regional banks and consolidating them towards the top. We're seeing several embattled regional banks right now, one of them being First Republic, who is uh, uh, going to get bought out uh, uh, by uh, one of the big four banks, JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, or Bank of America. And uh, essentially, regional banks across the board have been hurting to a tremendous degree. If you take a look at the regional bank index, um, stocks are down uh, across the regional bank index and the index as a whole is bleeding very badly and short sellers are shorting it New Oblivion. Well, why is this? Well, there are a few things. Not only uh, can re many regional banks, do, do they don't meet the collateral requirements, i.e. they don't have a sufficient amount of uh, US Treasury collateral or mortgage-backed security collateral to actually go ahead and use this new facility from the Fed, but also these bank runs that have been occurring to the tune of $500 billion have caused depositors to flee. And, and who hurts the most from this? The regional banks who don't have a lot of depositors to begin with, and they can't participate in the Fed's discount window in order to get these emergency loans. And on top of that, um, in and amidst these higher rates, 
depositors are fleeing. They're fleeing for much higher yielding uh, across the treasury curve. Um, they're purchasing treasuries, but also they're fleeing to money market funds um, that are yielding 4% and that are yielding 3.5%, right? Much more attractive than these basically 0% bank deposits. You could see here up on the screen, I have a chart of money market funds growing in aggregate uh, just last week, they grew $120 billion worth of inflows. And now money market funds as a whole across the United States are worth more than $5 trillion. They have $5 trillion in assets. Now, you know, you, you obviously see the problem here, right? Regional banks are essentially getting murdered by BTFP. And the fact that higher rates are driving depositors away from regional banks, so they're getting this, this capital sucked away from them. And then they also uh, can't redeem, potentially cannot redeem uh, all of these depositors' withdrawal requests because they can't use the Fed's emergency facility, right? They themselves may have discounted securities on their books, but they can't actually go to the Fed uh, in order to borrow against them and use this cash facility that is available to the larger regional banks. And so, this really is killing regional banks. Some Most regional banks simply will not be able to compete with these uh, 4% uh, rates that are being offered at money market funds. And so obviously, larger banks can raise their deposit rates in order to keep depositors with them, but these smaller banks simply cannot do that. These smaller banks don't have the ability to raise uh, their deposit rates to a competitive rate uh, up to 4%, lest they, they potentially bankrupt themselves. And so really the BTFP facility uh, combined with the mass exodus of depositors and the reality that these smaller community banks won't be able to raise their deposit rates competitively is gonna mean that a lot of these smaller regional banks get shuttered, they go bankrupt, and these banks will just continue consolidating towards the top. Now, as a result of this, the last chart that we'll put up on screen is the Fed funds futures. What does the market think that the path is going to be for Fed policy, given there's so much distress within the banking sector? Well, it's never been more clear. We'll put it up on screen now. Here is the path for policy uh, via the Fed funds futures curve. You could see up at the top that cuts are implied as soon as June. You could see that the market is on the fence that the Fed even hikes next week. Um, the implied rate hike for next week is straddling the line between zero and 25 basis points. And then at the very bottom, you could see just how inverted that curve is. Um, and that is the expected path for policy. People are expecting the Fed pauses relatively soon and begins cutting. That is just how distressed the uh, the the banking sector is. Um, and we've seen this uh, we've seen this corroborated by the rates market. Obviously, you know as a viewer of the Bitcoin layer that front end rates uh, lead Fed policy. They give you a window into Fed policy expectations. And they've dropped by more than a full percentage point in the last week alone. And so the rates market is moving fast. The futures market is moving fast. And they have put all of their chips on the table that the Fed has to step on the brakes. The Fed has to stop hiking uh, lest we experience some kind of, of really huge credit event. And the Fed definitely doesn't want that. And so all eyes are on the Fed next Wednesday. The expectation is via front end rates and Fed funds futures that the Fed will be pausing rate hikes relatively soon. And given the fact that they've already uh, sort of pseudo pivoted by expanding their balance sheets and obviously doing what they just did via the uh, the um, uh, bailout facility, that a pause next week won't you know be all that much of a surprise. In fact, it is the expectation within markets. Either a pause or 75 basis points, or a rather, excuse me, uh, either 25 basis points or a pause is what we expect here at the Bitcoin layer. But of course, we'll be keeping you posted. Markets are moving quickly. Nick and I will certainly be back to talk with you a little bit more about what is going on uh, in the future. But that is all we've got for you today. Take care. 
And again, a special thanks to Passport for sponsoring this video. Foundation Devices is a fantastic company and they make an extremely beautiful device as you can see here. It is an absolutely remarkable piece of work. It is the best in class design for a Bitcoin hardware wallet. And if you have been on the fence about taking your Bitcoin into self custody, now's the time. Not only are you getting a sweet deal, but this is the best device on the market for ease of use and easily putting your Bitcoin into cold storage if you've been on the fence. You can use code BitcoinLayer at checkout and go to the bitcoinlayer.com foundation or use the link in our description. Take care, guys.